0: You know, I was thinking this morning, and Brother Kenneth and I, we were talking after the after the message and uh, service was over, and we were talking and, and about the fact that God knows the needs of each and every one, and I won't go into detail, but, but I get home and receive a notification uh, that came in on our website, wasn't it, Brother Mike, someone from Saudi Arabia, commenting on the service uh, watching from Saudi Arabia so uh, we we never know uh, you know who's listening i mean we've heard from people you know in several other states uh, that not only listen but watch our services and uh, then to have someone from Saudi Arabia that just it just lets us know that uh, we don't know what God's doing but he does well, open your Bibles tonight, 2 Kings chapter number 4, and we continue in on our series on the Lord God of Elijah uh, that started out back um, at the beginning of Elijah's ministry, and now here we are in the ministry of Elisha, and we still see the Lord God of Elijah working through a, a different man. And, uh, tonight we begin in verse 38. You know, this is one of those sections, and we're just going to look at verse 38, 39, 40, and 41, those four verses. And at first thought, you know, I thought to myself, you know, this little short story, I, maybe I ought to just move on to, you know, something that uh, has a lot more details and so forth. And, uh, uh but, now, I just felt impressed that this was a very important part of what we've been talking about when we think about the Lord God of Elijah, and I hope that will become clear as we go through this. So, verse 38, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servants, set on the great pot and seethe the pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered thereof of wild gourds his lap full and came and shred them into the pot of pottage for they knew them not and they poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage they cried out and said, O thou man of God there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. But he said, Then bring meal and cast it into the pot, and he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat, and there was no harm in the pot. Here is a very short story that has basically three things that we need to consider. There's the prophet, there's the problem, and the provision. And we're going to look at each one of those three things here tonight. The first of all is the prophet, and notice that it says that he returned again to to Gilgal, you know, whenever I look at this, it tells me several things about the prophet himself. Number one, it shows me that he is more concerned about ministry than he was about comfort. Now that's a, that's a big statement to say that about anyone, that so-and-so is more concerned about ministry than they are about their own personal comfort. Remember, he could have stayed in the home of the Shumanite woman basking in comfort, but he didn't. The Shumanite woman and her husband had constructed a little room for him on the house where he would, could be comfortable, and he could have certainly stayed there. Instead of doing that, he returned to Gilgal, where he was teaching these, these young preachers and whenever whenever I read that, and I was thinking about it uh, this week as I th- thought about the message and thought about the joy that I received years ago, we had uh, in the church that I pastored in Cincinnati, and later on it was in Kentucky and uh, we had what we called a Bible institute every Monday night, and we had about all fifty between fifty and sixty, uh, not just young preachers, but people that also, were Sunday school teachers, and it was designed for Christian workers. That's what it was all about, and um, we probably didn't have over five, five to eight, maybe that was out of our church, but they came from other churches. Plus, I was teaching every day at Central Baptist College at that time, and, and what a joy it was to be able to minister to to Christian workers, and especially those. Those young preachers, I, I just got a video from one this week, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know what all he's doing now, but he put a video on Facebook climbing a 300-foot tire, and it showed him climbing that whole tire, and I so I sent him a little message, you know, I, I thought you are smarter than that, or I taught you better than that, or you knew better than that, and uh, but but on the other hand, whenever you see people later on actively involved in the ministry that, you know, God has used you in some small way, and and, and and I look back on that, and I think some of those guys must have thought I was a nutcase, because here I was, and even to this day, 50 years later, I'm very much aware of the fact that I don't pronounce all of my words right, and, and it's, you know, we... Uh, you think, well, if you know you're not pronouncing them right, why don't you change? Well, the, the old, old saying, kind of too hard to teach an old dog new tricks. I guess I don't know, but I hadn't been to college myself, but I was teaching in college and uh, and mispronouncing words and everything else, but and still God had His hand in that and used that in some way. Now I'm saying all of that for a reason. You don't have to be a so-called expert. You don't have to be a so-called Bible scholar. You don't have to have a bunch of degrees hanging on the wall for God to use you. All you've got to do is make yourself available and care more about doing that than you do all of the other things that are in this world that could occupy your time and God will use you to be a blessing to someone. It doesn't have to be in Bible college. It doesn't have to be teaching a Sunday school class, but ministering to someone. And let me tell you, idleness is dangerous for us to just, you know, to just, like the old saying, some people just sit, soak, and, and sire. You know, they just keep sit in church, they soak it all up, but they never put it to use. And consequently, it has a way of of siring instead of making them sweeter and making them better. And I think of David, you know, at the time when the kings went out to war and David stayed behind. And so, here, here is David. And naturally, you know the story. David ends up getting himself in trouble. And if he had been out there, you know, active, why... Uh, there's a good chance that something like that wouldn't have happened and if we're wise we'll stay busy in the lord's work you know elisha could have said you know i i've i've earned a break i you know i i've i I was the I was the servant to Elijah, the famous Elijah. I followed him wherever he went. I I washed his hands. I ministered to his needs. And now I've had my own active ministry and God has used me and I'm tired. And, and, And in the providence of God, He provided me a nice comfortable place that I could stay with the Shumanite woman and her husband. So... You know, I'm just I'm I'm going to take a sabbatical for a, a few years. He could have done that. I probably nobody would have uh, nobody would have thought ill of him, but here's a man that is concerned about ministry, so he leaves the comfort of that place and goes back to Gilgal, back with the sons of the prophets, back to Bible school as we would call it. And and, uh, teaching them and working with them. And there's a lesson in that for us. But not only was he more concerned about ministry than he was his personal comfort, I want you to notice that he went to Gilgal during a crisis. You know, if he had got a letter from there from some of the sons of the prophets saying, I hear the weather's been bad there, you know, where, where you are, and boy, we're having great weather here the fish are really biting, man, you need to get down here. You know while the fish are biting and so forth. And and and, and he might have said, you know, this would be a good time for me to go back and uh, spend some time with them. But notice when he goes back, it says there is a dearth, which literally means to hunger. And that's a situation usually caused by a drought. Uh, there's n- not enough food to eat. Uh, there's a shortage. And uh, he goes back then not, not during a time of prosperity, but a time of great need. That would be a time when you would think he would stay away or go in the opposite direction. But instead, he goes right into the teeth of trouble. Now, keep in mind that as you look at the history of Israel over and over again, it, it's amazing to me to see how that sin and weather can be related. Because over and over, the children of Israel, when they sinned against God, God used the weather to chastise them, to bring them to their senses. They rebelled against God and as a result of their rebellion, God withheld the rain and so forth and allowed them to be subjected to great hardship. So it tells us here that serving God can put us in difficult in dangerous situations. I mean, why do you want to go there or why would you want to stay there during a time like that? And yet, here's a man that is so concerned about ministry that he's willing to subject himself to difficulties like that. And the amazing thing is that he was available just when he was needed the most. Now think about it. I don't. I don't know how many days he had been there, but as I read this story, I kind of get the impression that he had just got there and he told them to go out, you know, and and put on the pot, make some pottage, you know, feed uh, feed all of the preachers, and they did. And uh, so he's there. I've noticed over the years in dealing with people, and sometimes, as you know, people can be extremely hard. Uh, to deal with and hard to break through. I mean, you can have their best interest at heart. You can be ever so scriptural in the counsel that you provide for them. You can love them as much as possible and be ever so kind to them and give them exactly what they need and they'll reject it. And sometimes you just you have the impression that there's no way to break through the hardness of their heart. But what I've noticed is that many times troubles can melt the hardest of hearts. Uh, Maybe you're looking at someone or thinking about somebody that you have concluded they're beyond hope. I've I've tried and I've tried and I've tried for years. I've tried to get through to that guy. I've tried to tell him. I've tried to warn him. I've tried to help him. And nothing I do seems to help. His heart is so hard, I'm just not going to waste any time on him anymore. It's just hopeless. But let me tell you, sooner or later, sooner or later, God can bring a person down to the point that they realize their need and they become desperate. And it's during those times that you and I have the opportunity to minister to them effectively. In other words, it's during those times that we'll be able to get through to them when at other times they wouldn't listen to anything we say. And that's why it's so important that we be available at those times, you know, that's we, we talk about making hospital visits or visiting, you know, the shut-ins uh, and so forth, and that's why it's important because whenever people are going through those difficulties, they're much more likely to listen to what we have to say. That's why Paul told Titus, he said, "Be ready to every good work." E- Elijah could have just sit there in that little room they had made for him. Bask in comfort and he could have said, you know, if they need me they 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 can send a message and let me know and, and I'll be glad to go if they need me. It's kinda kinda like what we do today when we say, you know, if there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Do you really think they're going to do that? Of course not. They're not going to do that. We need to be available whenever. There is a need, and he was there at the moment of need. There's a great section of scripture in Philippians chapter 2, and I love Philippians. I love Philippians chapter 2. I love the first part where it speaks about, you know, Christ coming in the form of man, taking the form of a servant, and so forth, and telling us to have the mind of Christ. But sometimes it's, it seems like that that the last part of that chapter gets overlooked, and it it is so rich. I I, I, I really hesitate to do what I'm about to do, but I, I want to read just a uh, just a part of it to give you some idea that'll maybe whet your appetite. And when you get home, you'll take time to really study this. But it starts actually in verse 17 what I'm talking about, where Paul says, "Yea." And if I be offered upon the sacrifice in service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. That is he's not going to gripe about it, but it'll be with joy. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus. Now he's going to give two examples here, and the first one is Timotheus, and he says, you know, that I'm going to that I'm going to I'm going to send him shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man, now listen to this, no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. That is, I don't have to give him a to-do list and say, look, this is what needs to be done. I don't have to beg him to do it. He just naturally does that i i am so thankful and i've told uh, just about everybody i know more times than one i'm so thankful for the people that god's put in this church that does that i'm really thankful for brother kenneth because he sees something that needs to be done and he does it he doesn't uh, he doesn't wait for me to say hey would you do this and would you do that And I, 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 I don't have words to describe how thankful I am for him. And I, I know how Paul must have felt with Timothy whenever he says that he will naturally care for your state. Now listen to this. For all, everybody else, he says, they seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Boy, now I've got, I've got to hurry and go on in verse 25. He, jumps to another example Epaphroditus notice he says is my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier and your messenger and he that ministered to my wants he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he heard uh, uh, ye had heard that he had been sick and indeed he was sick nigh unto death but God had mercy on him And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may uh, be the less sorrowful." Now listen carefully to these next verses. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and and whole such in reputation. Here it is. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. As I think about Elisha and him leaving that place of comfort and going to a place of difficulty, I'm reminded of Paul, I'm reminded of Timothy, I'm reminded of Epaphroditus, those men who loved ministry more than comfort and were willing to make whatever sacrifices necessary in order to be a blessing to somebody else. So this is the prophet that we're talking about here in this story. Now, let's look at the problem, verse number 40. The problems described in four words. Notice it said there is death in the pot. Death in the pot. Now, this this is a problem that could not come at a worse time than this because there's already a shortage of food. And now things go from bad to worse. It's like the old saying when it rains it pours. And it's pouring down rain now. They've got a shortage of food. What are they going to do? So they go out scrounging around, trying to, trying to, you know, get something to eat. And I don't know whether they picked a poisonous plant. Exactly what happened, I can't explain that. It doesn't go into detail. But they took these gourds and things. They ground them up or mashed them up and put them in the pottage and lo and behold it turned out to be poison. There's death in the pot. And sometimes we find that in our life. The fact that here we are with with a big problem and we think it can't get any worse and then it does. But when we think about this problem, not only did it come at a bad time, but it reminds us of the fact that God's servants are not exempt from problems. As I often say, sometimes the best people have the worst problems. And here these guys are in the ministry, sons of the prophets, and here Elisha is there ministering to them. And, and we, you know, we think, well, if God's going to exempt anybody from suffering and sorrow and pain, surely it would be those that love the Lord that are serving the Lord. And you would think that about the Apostle Paul of all of the examples in the Bible that I can think of. Here is a man that was a spiritual giant. Here's a man that loved the Lord. He said, I count not my life dear unto myself. That is to say, I'm not at all important. It doesn't matter about me. All that matters is for to me to live is Christ. That's all that counts, all that's important. And yet you think about the horrible suffering that man went through. And our natural mind says, that's just not fair. That's just not right. Well, it might not seem fair to us, But whenever we realize that we are undeserving of anything, we shouldn't complain about anything. And Paul didn't. He took it in stride. Naturally, he took it to the Lord on three different occasions. His thorn in the flesh, for example. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to remove it. It would be a detriment to your spiritual life. If I did that, you'd become proud and it would ruin your ministry. But he said, my grace will be sufficient. Now, if that was good enough for God, that ought to be good enough for us, don't you think? Sometimes we get all bent out of shape because God lets these problems come into our life. And, And even though we know that God said His grace is sufficient, it's kind of like we're kind of saying, you know, but I want something more than that. Really, because we're not satisfied with that, it seems like sometimes. So here the problem, the problem has to do with people that are serving God and God doesn't exempt them. There's something else about this problem that is notable and that is the fact that things are not always as they seem to be. Well, being from Missouri and, you know, and being raised like I was, i often said, you know, I... I was brought up. Dad said, "If you shoot it, you eat it." I've eaten woodpecker. I've eaten. Uh, I've eaten uh, <laughs> a, a, a possum and coon and groundhogs and just about everything under the sun, you know. And uh, you'd be amazing how good some of that stuff is. And the metal ark, though, I, that wasn't so great. But I shouldn't tell everything I know about about myself. <laughs> but uh, you know there are a lot of times i I'm, I'm just getting i'm trying to picture in my mind these guys are going out and getting all of this together and somebody says, oh man i can't wait till that's done the aroma is awesome that 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 is the best looking pottage i've ever seen in my life everything looked great about it by the way it might have even tasted good but there was death in the pot. And we need this reminder that things are not always as they seem. And that's true in regards to a lot of different things. For example, it's true in regards to, to corrupt teachers. Let me just quickly give you an example of what I'm talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 verse 13. Paul says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Corrupt teachers. So many times we wonder if we're really getting through to our young people. Where's Susan? Is she here tonight, Susan Durham. Well, Susan told me a story this morning that was such a blessing. And uh, uh, Philip, as as y'all knows, in the uh, in the service, and um, and anyway, he uh, I, I can't remember whether he talked to his mom. I guess that's what it was. He's able to make a call. Or maybe it was by letter, and uh, someone uh, had—well, she had asked him the question. She said, "Have you found a church there yet?" And he said, "No, mom." He said, "He said I told you all of these churches out here are feel-good churches." My first thought was, "Man, he." Gets it. Something that a lot of people, most people don't get. He said they're just feel-good churches. They don't teach the Bible, you know, like we do here at Lakeway. And that, that, that just amazed me that here is a young man that sometimes you wonder about, did we ever really get through to him? And he is aware of the fact... And somebody had told him about a particular sermon. He said, I just can't wait till I get back to the base so I can, you know, so I can go online and I can listen to that particular, that particular message. It's so good to see somebody, a young person, excited about the Word of God and and knowledgeable enough to know that you can't just listen to anybody and everybody. Brother Kenneth and I was talking this morning, talking about a particular preacher, and well actually several, Uh, and uh, anyway the subject come up in regards to their manner of preaching. You know there are a lot of famous preachers, and uh, I've known several of of them, and been around them, talked with them, and so forth, and they had great skills. Uh, great personalities. And, uh, and yet, 90% of the preaching was nothing more than one story after another, after another, after another, after another. God didn't call Brother Kenneth and I into the storytelling business. He didn't call us into the entertainment business. He tells us to preach the Word. And things are not always as they seem. Because someone, you know, has a great personality and is an eloquent speaker doesn't mean that you're hearing the truth. And that's why you need to judge everything I say or any preacher says by what the Word of God says. So things are not always as they seem when it comes to corrupt teachers, when it comes to circumstances that seem to be favorable circumstances that seem to be favorable. At last, they've got something to eat. It seems like a good deal. They're sitting there. They're getting ready to eat. Circumstances seem favorable. Reminds me of the story of Paul on his journey to Rome when they got into so much trouble. You'll remember the story. And the south wind blew softly. They said, man, let's go. Paul said, you better not you better not. But they allowed the circumstances to dictate what they did instead of listening to the man of God and they ended up getting in trouble. That's why the Bible tells us to prove all things. Prove all things. Things are not always as they seem. Another part of this story, this problem here, is the fact that difficult times can be the most dangerous times because it... A lot of times it will cause people to do what they normally wouldn't do. And that's why I keep saying that that all of us at times act out of character. We all do. All it takes for some people to act out of character is to get out here on the highway driving for a little while and somebody cuts you off or, you know, there's some slow poke in front of you that won't get out of the fast lane and all of a sudden you start acting out of character. I should say, when we start acting out of character, that might be more correct. (laughs) I knew, Brother John, I knew what was going on in his mind. But sometimes, you know, there can be moments in our life where we are under the gun and the pressure is on us. And things that we ordinarily would never do, we end up doing because, you know, we're going through a difficult time. These, look, these guys were hungry. There's a dearth in the land. There's a shortage. They're hungry. And I don't know about you, but ordinarily, if I'm going to make a big bowl of chili or stew or whatever it is, well, I don't make, I don't cook, but if I did, I'd make sure what I put in there. I had a good friend I worked with back in Missouri years ago and his favorite hobby was hunting mushrooms. Now let me tell you something if you don't know what you're doing with mushrooms you can you you can you can kill yourself some of them are poisonous and you better know what you're doing. And I think ordinarily they might have taken greater care with what they put in the pottage than they did on this day. But there's a shortage. So they find this gourd over there and man, it looks like something that would be good. And so, you know, they put that in there. Well, whatever the case, we've got to realize that whenever there are problems in our life, to be careful about the decisions that we make. And by the way, in that same light, sincerity is no safeguard. He didn't intentionally put that in there. You know, he didn't say, you know, hey, I don't like this bunch of guys. I'm going to put something in there that will make them sicker than a dog. He didn't do that intentionally. He was sincere. He was just as sincere as whenever I... Convince my sister that we ought to eat that chocolate candy on the neighbor's neighbor's table. Well, it wasn't chocolate candy. (laughs) Be sure your sins will find you out. Now, the older people are laughing, so kids, I'll clue you in. They used to make Exalax look like chocolate candy, taste like chocolate candy, but it wasn't chocolate candy. I was sincere. It looked good. It tasted good. So we got to be careful about saying, well, you know, yeah, I know they're, they're not quite right, but they've got a good heart. They are so sincere. But you can be sincerely wrong and die as a result of it. Now let's look at the provision for the problem. And the great lesson here, to just sum it all up, is the fact that God's power is always sufficient. As I mentioned a while ago there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient. Now the prophet Elijah knew what to do. And I think that was God instructing him. He knew what to do. And they trusted his leadership. So here's a man that is in touch with God, being directed by God, and God used him to do what was necessary in order to deliver the people. And he, he told him get some meal and put the meal in there, mix it up, and uh, you can change the poison pottage into something that is pleasurable and something that is profitable. Now I look at that and I say, thank God there was someone there that had the solution to the problem. Elisha was there. Why was he there? He was there because he cared more about ministry than he did personal comfort. That's why he's there. He's there even though it's a time of great difficulty in the land. He's there when needed. And God enlightens his mind and shows him what to do and gives him the antidote for the problem. Well, we could sum it all up and, and be ever so correct when we say that Christ is the divine antidote for all of our problems. He's the one that is able to meet our need in any situation, whatever it is. And the only hopeless person is the person that refuses to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is folly of the highest order for someone to reject Him and what He offers. As I preached this morning, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. That is the most foolish, serious thing that a person could ever do. Now, when I look at this, I'm just like you are, and I wonder to myself, why did God choose this method to solve this problem—to put meal in the poison pottage? Why did He do that? God could have God could have solved this problem in a thousand different ways. He could have said, "Elijah, all you got to do is stand over that pottage and say abracadabra," you know, or He could have told him just snap your fingers three times. He could have used any means that He wanted. I don't know why God chose this very method, but, but I look at the miracles of Jesus and, I, and throughout the Bible and I think of the different ways that God met needs. And it made no sense to us. I think about the blind man and Jesus, you know, and he took spittle and some clay and, and made a paste and he put on the man's eyes. You know, I, I, I guess the fellow couldn't see what he was doing, but others could. Said, "You can imagine what they're saying. Look, he spit. He spit on that. He's going to put his spit on that man's eyes. What good's that going to do? It doesn't have any medicinal value. It doesn't have to have medicinal value. It is just the means that God appointed for that particular problem." And I'm not smart enough to figure out why God chose this particular means. But I do know one thing. That God chose something here that required the involvement of other people. Notice verse number 41. The prophet instructed, uh, instructed them. He said, uh, bring meal. Bring Meal. You see, the solution involved obedience. It involved others. By the way, the Lord's work, whenever we think about God's work, the Lord chose to involve others in His work. Think about Him feeding the multitude and the fact that He involved others. You know, he involved the little lad whenever he took his lunch. He involved the disciples whenever he had told them, go have all of the people to sit down and he used them to go out and distribute it. He could have just, you know, he could have just put it out there and said, okay, start a big line, everybody go through, but he didn't do that. He could have just rained it down from heaven, but he didn't do that. He chose a method that involved using people. And it's important for us to understand that yes, God can do whatever He wants to do. There is a sense in which God doesn't need any of us. He can do anything. But God has chosen in His divine wisdom to use people. And we think about the Great Commission getting the Gospel out to the whole world. God could have written it in the clouds, but He didn't. Instead, God established and ordained His church and told His church, you take the gospel, into all of the world. So the means had to do with involving others in it, and the key to getting the blessing, solving the problem, had to do with obedience. They had to obey to get what they needed. I I don't have time tonight to talk about how important obedience is to our lives and there's so many times you know that we uh, shortchange ourselves so many times that we subject ourselves to great difficulties all because we just don't want to get involved we're not willing to obey God at least not to the extent that God requires and whenever the Lord says if a man's going to be my disciple he's got to forsake all that he has and to the natural mind, that seems unreasonable. Why would God require everything, you know? Well, because that's what it takes for us to be used of the Lord. And the whole purpose of this entire study is to show you how that the Lord God of Elijah can meet needs. There, there's no limit to His power. But it's no benefit if we resist His will. So many people spend their entire lives without what they need because of their disobedience to God. And the Bible says, Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. That's exactly what it means. In Matthew 28 and verse 20, a part of the Great Commission, and most of you people could could quote that, and I hope so anyway. But believe it or not, that gets misquoted so very much, even by preachers. I've heard it over and over again. Teaching them, here's what they say, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now that's close to what it says, but that's not what it says. What it says is teaching them, and here's the phrase that gets left out, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You you see, it's one thing to teach people just so to, to give them information, just to instruct them. And that's why so many people, they feel satisfied in being a student of the Word. I'm a student of the Word. Had a fellow tell me that years ago and you couldn't get him, you couldn't get him to do anything. I mean nothing. And he kind of explained because he tried it one time. Somebody complained a little bit about the way he did it, so he's never done it since. But his statement to me was, but I'm deep in the Scriptures. Wow if we're not observing to do all things that the Lord has commanded, we're not obeying God. Amen? That Listen, that is the key. We look at these miracles. We look at the ways in which God did great things and supplied the needs of people. And by the way, isn't that what most people are really worried about? Their needs... According to Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord's dealing with that subject, you know, that, uh, that's what He says. There. The, these are the things people worry about. Well, I, you know, I, I need this and I need that. and He said, don't be like the Gentiles. That, they're hung up on that. Don't be like them. And then He gives them the real solution. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. We don't have to seek after those things if we're seeking to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want the Lord God of Elijah to be active in our life today and to use us and to bless us and to help us, then it absolutely 100% no doubt about it requires that we be willing to obey him. You know, most of most all of us know more than what we're willing to obey. And if that's the case, there's no reason for us to know any more than we know if we're not obeying what we already know. So God help us tonight to leave here because we live in a world that is so full of problems and there are people that you no doubt have tried and tried and tried to reach. You just can't get through. One of the reasons you can't is because everything's going so good in their life. They're healthy, they've got a little jingle in their pockets, you know, they drive a nice car, live in a nice home. Oh, their ball team is winning games. They they're not thinking about God and you can't get through to them. But someday, sometime they'll be going through a rough spot. It might be might be a physical problem, they might be in the hospital. Might be a domestic issue, their wife just walked out and left them for somebody else. It could be a financial disaster, and they're going bankrupt and wringing their hands, wondering what in the world am I going to do? That's when we need to be available and step in and let God use us. To try to reach them in their time of desperation. Now we all know we're not going to reach everybody. We know that. Jesus couldn't reach everybody. Certain places He couldn't do no wonderful works. But that doesn't mean because you can't reach someone somewhere that there's not somebody else that God can use you to reach. And we can't get so discouraged because of our failure to reach certain people that we give up on trying to help other people. Love hurts. It really does. You know, to have a love for those that are lost, it hurts because you see them in their wretched spiritual condition and you want to help them and they won't let you. They won't let you. They don't really care. And we can't let the disappointment of love, that is grief, we can't let that overwhelm us to the point that we give up. The key for a person, the key for a church, the key for a family to receive the blessings of the Lord is for us to obey what we know God would have us to do. Those guys said, there's death in the pot. What do we do? And Elisha said, this is what you do. Go bring some meal. Bring some meal. There, he's involving them. Put it in there. Stir it up. Mix it up. Now it's okay. They could have said, you know, what do you mean? Who are you talking to? I'm not going to go out and bring the meal. I'm, I went out and gathered the, the veggies or whatever it was. They could have disobeyed and missed the blessing and been deprived of their need. Let's not do that to ourselves bow with me in prayer father lord how we thank you for the greatness of your power that the power that we've experienced in our own lives if not only that you saved us but the way that you changed us and the way that you've helped us and blessed us. And we're so thankful not only for our personal experiences, but we're so thankful, Lord, for the testimony of others. People that we know that have gone through difficult and horrible times, and we've we've witnessed You bringing them out and supplying their needs when all seem lost. And then, Lord, we thank You for the the testimony of the Bible, the Word of God, that we can rely upon in our time of need. Help us to not get frustrated whenever we're going through difficulties. Help us to never, never to feel that we're being shortchanged just because we love You and we're serving You. And now we've got a need and now we've got a problem. Lord, help us to just trust You and to, to do what we know You would have us to do and to trust You for the outcome. So as the old song says, Lord, help us to go out here tonight being a channel of blessing to someone today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. 330 as we sing.